welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. We're going to go to the Bible and have a look at what love is. In fact, I kind of got so intrigued in this whole thought on the weekend. I did a survey on Instagram and said, please finish this sentence, love is. And would you like to know some of the responses? Can I read you? I'm going to read you some of the responses. One of my favourites is first on the list and also another favourite is last on the list. In between, they're just responses. I don't think there's any right or wrong, so to speak. But here are the responses. Love is, finish the sentence, something I'm still discovering. I thought that's a good, that was from a man, by the way, just just saying. Um, Another creatively inspired man, uh, he just was listening to a song, I think. Love is all you need. The first response from a lady, love is for soft people. (laughs) Anyway, uh, someone else says love is everything. Love is hard work from somebody else. Love is chocolate. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm. You'll know who this one comes from. Uh, Love is looking after your daughter's children. Then she replied again and said, even one. <laughs> love is powerful. Love is everywhere. I can't, love is everywhere. No. Love is a word to keep in stillness and in motion, was one reply. Wow. Love is selfless. I'm going to give you all the responses. Not all my followers are Christians. Love is love. Awkward moment, huh? (laughs) Love is an action. Love is God. Love is long suffering. (laughs) And love is a verb, not a noun. If I was answering that survey, I would simply say love is complicated. I think, you know, if you have a look and accept what the Bible says about love, it's complicated. If you ask the Apostle Paul, and that's where we're going to go today, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think he would have replied because the last verse of chapter 12, he actually introduces what we have now called the love chapter in, in chapter 13. He introduces it by saying, love is a superior way of life. And so I'm going to start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here comes the Bible study. Are you ready to do it? If we, uh, verse 1, if we were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. I think there he's saying the preacher and the prayer warrior are hollow without love. He goes on, and if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but had never learned to love, I am nothing. He's saying there that the prophet and evangelist are nothing without love. 
And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be buried as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. There he's saying the philanthropist and the martyr gain nothing without love. I love how it goes on from here. I just, this is powerful. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. We're driving out of our driveway today and there's my dog, well, Carolyn's dog, uh, (laughs) standing at the gate shivering. And I, I can see it shivering. It just doesn't affect me. As we're driving out, Carolyn's like, oh, darling, he's so cold. I'm thinking, he's a dog. That's what he's got a coat full time for. He's okay. But she's consistently kind, you know what I'm saying? Brownie points. Uh, It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. If you're not uncomfortable by the time I finish reading this, just check to see if you've got a pulse. Uh, (laughs) Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honour. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offence. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best of others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives, the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. And I'm thinking right there when Paul introduced this verse of Scripture, these passages, he said he was taking us to a place where we could live the superior life, which was the life of love. There were five words for love in the Greek when this book was written. I think there's six words in the modern English language now for love. They mean unconditional, affectionate, familiar, romantic, enduring and self-love. You understand today probably that the Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. All of the New Testament was written in Greek. Most of all of the Old Testament were written in Hebrew except for a few chapters in in uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and one verse. Why one verse? I don't know, one verse in Jeremiah. They were written in Aramaic. Uh, It's important to know that because words are thoughts clothed in human language. And some people get bent out of shape today because today uh, the Bible has been translated into over 2,300 languages. And some people think there's something wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that because over the ages, the clothes of language have shut down or hidden the real original thought that God intended to transfer into our lives because it's the thought that changes you. So it's good to understand that because the word for love in this portion of Scripture is the same Greek word from start to finish. 
The word is agape, or better translated, charity. It shifts things a little bit because when I use the word love on the way through, some of you are thinking about romantic love. Some of you are thinking about friendship love. Some of you are thinking about chocolate love. <laughs> Coffee love. You know, because in English we have, we have the one word, I love my wife and I love chocolate. Now, hopefully there's a deeper sense of love over here for wife than there is for chocolate. Hopefully. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if we don't understand the full impact of what it is, then we're not really going to be able to grab a hold of actually what God was saying to us. Because, you know, I, I don't like this really. God says, I can love everybody. I'm like, really? Even Collingwood supporters. <laughs> Are you sure, God? Even Dockers supporters? Like, yeah, He says, You can love everybody. He commands us to love everybody, which means everybody is lovable in this charitable kind of way. In my opinion, I'll try and keep my opinions out of today because, you know, we've all got them. They're like nostrils. In my opinion, there's two types of love in the English language world that we live in. There's the love that you give and there's the love that you receive. Because, you know, when I say I love chocolate and I do love chocolate, uh, I, what I'm really saying is I love the pleasure derived from chocolate. I love the pleasure I receive from chocolate. It's the same, I might say it about ice cream. I might say the same thing about coffee. I might even say the same thing about physical intimacy. I, I love the pleasure I derive from that thing. But the love that you give is a completely kind of different love. When I say I, I love my wife or I, I love my children, well, I love their children. Uh, what I'm really saying is I will serve them, I will guard them, I will protect them, I'll be affectionate towards them. Because you see, when someone says, all I want is to be loved, you've got to ask yourself the question, what are they really saying? Are they, I, I, I want someone to give me pleasure, affirmation or affection. If you're single here today and you might be hoping to find love, I think like that first guy's response, I'm not sure that you find it as much as you discover it and keep on discovering it. You might be saying, I want someone to give me that pleasure, that affirmation. If you're looking for it, what kind of love are you looking for? The kind you can give or the kind you can receive or both? You see, because the Bible does tell us that everyone is lovable. Is it okay to go into the M section of Scripture today? We might even edge towards MA, mature audiences only. Is, we might, but it's in the Bible. And I'll try and use the most, um, most palatable translation along the way. Because it's probably important to talk about physical intimacy. You use another three-letter word there. I probably will drop it out along the way, sex. Uh, because, you know, it's, 
something given by God, designed by God. It's powerful, it's beautiful, it's amazing, and it's also dangerous. It's kind of like fire. Right now, well, maybe earlier, these machines hanging off the wall uh, took the power that came from fire and delivered heat into the rooms so that when you walked in here, it wasn't like a fridge. Trust me, it would have been like a fridge in here when the guys came to open it up. But because that fire was contained within boundaries and channeled in the right direction, it brought it into this room in a safe place. Now, if the service facilitator walked in this morning thinking, oh, it's cold, got some wood out the back and chucked it on the floor in the middle, central heating, petrol fire, it's, it's the same. Are you with me? Sex is great. Sex is powerful. I'll stop using it, word. Uh, but it's got to be kept within the right boundaries. So according to the Bible, you can have as much of it as you want, as often as you want. What a great thought. If you're married. And someone quoted it somewhere along the way that you, you leave your husband and your, uh, your father and your mother and you get joined together. Uh, a male and a female leave their paternal homes and join together. That's what, this is what the Bible says. I'm not picking any arguments with anyone. I'm not responding to any posts on social media. I'm just talking to you about what the Bible says. Um, Bible says it should only take place between married couples, heterosexual couples. It calls anything outside of that sin. And, and, and let me define what sin is as far as the Bible is concerned. Sin is falling short of God's standard for life. Zoe life, which is super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. So God says when you move outside of those boundaries, you're not going to experience the super abundant in quantity, superior in quality life that I designed for you. It's the only reason he makes the statement. Anything outside of that is short of my standard for your life. So that means fornication, which is sex between unmarried people. It means adultery, which is a married person having sex with someone they're not married to. I'm sorry to break it down so much, but I just needed to so I could get to the next But It also includes sex between same sexes. Gosh, Claude, is God a killjoy or what? Not when you understand. And you move beyond the basics of, of course, apart from the obvious high risk of STDs of just doing it anywhere with anyone, sex like nothing else binds you to the person you have it with in a, at a deep level. There's no such thing as no strings attached. If you indulge in the same sex relationships, especially as a male, your life expectancy greatly reduces Statistics say that you'll have a significantly higher number of failed relationships. And again, if you're male, you need to plan for losing control of your bowel motions and wearing adult diapers. I just told you I was only going to talk from this. Because too often we're just dancing around these issues and not to pick a fight, not to say you're going to hell. I don't think that's a very wise statement because... I could bring some other things to my Christian brothers and put them right alongside the homosexual thing, right alongside the fornication thing. Right, and, and listen, all of us would be sitting here going, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it because I did lie on my tax return. 
Like seriously, you do it every year. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> I just don't think it's very wise to stand up with a pointy finger and say, ain't going to hell because of that one thing over there and you're all doing this same thing over here, which is side by side, people. We've got to be merciful enough, gracious enough to understand that none of us can measure up without the Christ grace upon our life. Love is complicated. Oh, and obviously it's not just about the physical side of it because we're talking about relationships in all areas here. We're talking about the relationships of companionship. And we just want to have great companions because we're made that way. Would you be a great companion? We do need affection. And honestly, I, I think I lost the whole kind of context and understanding and zone of affection until my first grandchild come along and he just seemed to awaken in me this whole thing of affection. I, thought, oh, I think I didn't think I needed it up until then. And with the others that have followed, it's just grown more and more. And I've, I've, I've looked at myself and gone, I've become affectionate, more affectionate in other relationships as I've experienced it over here. Are you with me? It's, love is this thing that we're continually discovering. Romans 12 verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Now, don't you become weird after church. Start going up to people. Instead of it's a handshake, it's a hug. <laughs> it's, I will slap you. The security will be on you. Uh, are you with me? If you just want to increase it, just like instead of shaking with one hand, do it with two and we'll interpret that as affection, okay? Just, you've been warned, weirdo. Ah, forgive me. Jesus, help me. Help me, help me, help me, Jesus. Can I, how, how is your self-love? going because your relationship with yourself sets the tone for every other relationship. Andrew Guide said this, loving yourself isn't vanity, it's sanity. Eat like you love yourself, move like you love yourself, speak like you love yourself, act like you love yourself. The fact that someone else loves you doesn't rescue from the, you from the project of loving yourself. Low self-esteem is like driving through life with your handbrake on. It's just a reality. So can I come into land with these few thoughts, some best practices for relationships? And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about professional relationships. Can I give you some best practices that I think could help you? Number one, set boundaries and keep them. Everything valuable in life has boundaries. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 15, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's just Scripture. Kind of tends to be bent towards the one thing, but it's not really designed that way. Well, maybe it is, I'm male. Uh, my son, share your love with your wife alone. Drink from her well of pleasure and from no other. Why would you have sex with a stranger or with anyone other than her? Reserve this pleasure for you and her alone and not with another. Obviously that is focused on married couples, but I think the principle is clear for all of us. If you're going to have healthy relationships, there's going to be a 
set of boundaries that you stay within and don't move out. I I had uh, a pastor say to me once, I think it was Pastor Phil Pringle actually, he said, you know, it seems that people's morals are geographically set. I said, what do you mean? He says, some guys that I, a mentor and a pastor, he says, it just seems that when they leave home, they lose their morals. They get on a flight and fly somewhere else and things go out the window and they come back home and they suddenly realise the impact of what they've done. And let's not be those kind of people. Let's be the kind of people that have set up boundaries that are in place and we set them and we stay within them. And I want to tell you, if you do that, life will flow. The Zoe life will flow. It's true in friendships. It's true in families. Uh, husband, you left your mother to marry your wife. Stop allowing your mother to speak into your family. Oh, here we go. I'm starting. To, uh, uh, here's, a, here's one to consider. This is just my opinion. Can I give you another opinion? I've got two nostrils. Can I give you two opinions? Uh, you know, the Bible says that two shall become one. I find it really interesting in some relationships, the two become one, but they still have separate bank accounts. Just, that was an opinion, you can chuck it out. Set boundaries, keep them. In all relationships. Best practice number two, be happy to give more than you receive. Or don't enter into the relationship. Keep them as an acquaintance. Say hi and bye. Because for all relationships to be healthy and strong, you actually need to be prepared to give more than you receive. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, However, I say to you, do not repay an evil act with another evil act. But whoever insults you by slipping... No, slipping, no, slapping. Slapping you on the right, thank you, on the right cheek. Turn the other to him as well. If someone is determined to sue you for your coat, give them the shirt off your back as a gift in return. It's like, Jesus, are you serious? (laughs) Oh, you don't read your Bible like that? (laughs) I can't read like he's telling me that's what I should do when I get into those situations. And I get in those situations, I just let's delete that. If someone is determined to sue you for your coat, give him the shirt off your back as a gift in return. And and should people in authority take advantage of you? Do more than what they demand. Learn to generously share what you have with those who ask for help. And don't close your heart to the one who comes to borrow from you. How are you doing? Because I just lost the oxygen in my lungs. But actually in relationship, you've got to be prepared to give more than you receive. Because I think we've been taught from other sources and pressures that relationships are transactional. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You make enough deposits, things will be okay. But actually God is outrageously generous in our relationship. He is so not transactional. He says, I'll remove as far as the east is from the west your sins from you and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. 
the best practice in relationship. And I'm talking about for you as an individual because it doesn't really matter what the other person does in that relationship. If you want to remain buoyant, if you want to remain healthy, actually the most important deal, if you want to keep your relationship with God right, you've got to make these decisions. Set the boundaries and keep them. It's okay. I know that as I enter into this relationship, I'm going to give more than I receive. And if I choose to do that, it's okay. Third best practice, because that one was more awkward than the first. (laughs) Third best practice is to understand trust. Understand that trust is given, not earned. But it's given and proven. I don't know who told us that trust is earned, but if you think about your life, all of us unconsciously invest trust that has never been earned into relationships at the beginning. Because I just felt like I could trust him. He seemed like a trustworthy guy. He hasn't earned anything, I just trusted. You know, <laughs> my parents told me never get in a car with a stranger. Now I have an app on my phone that helps me find a stranger that I get in the car with. <laughs> Half the time he can't speak English properly. Hello? Trust is given. But then once trust has been given to me, it's up to me to prove myself as trustworthy. It's interesting that a hundred ladies that had been in a cycle of bad relationships and had all come to the place where they asked themselves the question, how is it that I keep choosing douchebags? And so they went to counselling and there was a survey being taken at the time. And so they were asked the question on what made you trust them. And they couldn't actually articulate it. I actually forget the three things now that they fall in love on. Uh, women, I, I, if, he, if he smells good, help me out here. I've done this just recently with the staff. You don't listen to me anyway and staff means, goodness me, that's not going to help. Anyway, there was three of them. Smelt good, could look after himself and was, was trustworthy. They'd fall in love. They only needed two of those three to fall in love. So he could smell good, look like he looks after himself, not trustworthy at all, but I'm going to go for it because if he smells good, well, that's better than the opposite. <laughs> if he can look after himself, that means he can look after me too. Yeah. So I'll take the risk with the other. Long story short, on the survey of 100 ladies that were surveyed, they were then asked from that point on to go on into the next relationships, firstly qualifying if the person was trustworthy before they took the leap. And it was an interesting thing because the number one indicator of trust that was discovered out of that study was this. The number one indicator of trust was if the other person, the individual, was content. Contentment, greatest indicator of trust. Content in themselves, content in life, 
not, oh, my life will just be fine if I can get her on a date. But actually content. Interesting, don't you think? Best practice in relationships, both romantic and friendships and professional, is to understand the reality of trust. And then number four, never give up. Never give up on love. Never give up on people. I find the passion translation of this portion of Scripture in Corinthians just to say it so well. But just love never gives up. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7, love is a safe place of shelter. You know, I think, again, just to come back to Altar One and, and what we do here in church is ultimately all we're trying to do is manifest that verse right there, that love is a safe place of shelter. For it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Quitters never win. Winners never quit. I do believe in this world that we're living in as a reality check. There'll be people in this room that will be absolutely ticked off with the messenger today with some of the statements that rolled off my tongue. But I'm just speaking from the book. Come on, let's just be smart enough. Let's love one, enough, one another, respect one another enough to actually just speak the truth. There's no confusion in the book. If you just read it for what it says, any one of the 2,300 translations of it, or go back to the original three languages and if you must, take the time to interpret it yourself. If you just read it on face value, there's no confusion. But there's also no throwing out of condemnation, judgment and shame if you find yourself living offside with some of the truth that was spoken. All there is, is this God in heaven reaching out to you and saying, hey, I, I just want to give you a better life. I just want you to have life and life more abundantly. Keep going that way if that's your choice, but it's going to end up there. I just want to show you if you'll make the adjustment, you'll get the super abundant in quantity, superior in quality. And because I must do it, because of my attitude, I guess, to the Christian folk in the room that have been following Jesus a long time, just get rid of your pointy finger of judgment. Because if I come and have a look in your closet, I'll find something wrong with your tax return. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some fibs in there that would put you on the same playing field as that dirty, disgusting person that you have identified. I think we're all dirty, disgusting people in the mud. Just woke up and went, ooh, I'm a sheep, not a pig. 
I don't live here anymore. I'm getting out of here. It's going to take a little while to get the mud out of my... What do they have? Wool. (laughs) But nonetheless, I don't belong here. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.